Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Our passage today is from 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 through 16. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go from here and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the Wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. But after a while, the Wadi dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. As she was going to to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of meal will not be empty, and the jug of oil will not fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she, as well as he, and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Mary. Uh, Kara is not lying. Her voice is very soothing 97% of the time. (laughs) I'm her husband. I could say that. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, welcome, welcome to Genesis. My name is Steve, and if you're watching online, either live or later, uh, welcome. If you're on Zoom, welcome. Get those fingers ready to answer some all-play questions. We have some juicy ones today. Long portion, we read about a prophet who's fed, <laughs> we're led to believe, by ravens and a widow and a miracle happens. What we haven't really heard of is the prequel or the context, because all of a sudden we meet Elijah. This is the first time we hear about Elijah in the entire book of 1 Kings. Uh, so let's set the scene. King David, who united the tribes of Israel, he's dead and gone. So is his son Solomon, the next king, dead and gone. If you read the first 16 chapters of 1 Kings, you're going to read the names of the kings that followed David and Solomon, and you're going to chuckle at their quirky names because they are hilarious. Names like Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijam, Asa, Nadab, Basha, Elah, and then my two favorite, Zimri and Omri. Awesome. You're going to wince as you see each king get worse and worse, as these are the kings of Israel, as they turn away from God, who rescued her people from Egypt. When we suddenly meet Elijah in chapter 17, Ahab is king, and apparently he's the worst king of all. We read this in 1 Kings 16, 30-33. Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all those who were before him. And as it had been as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he took as his wife Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal, a false god, and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made a sacred pole. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. So the word evil, you heard that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Nerdy little tidbit. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew word is ra'ah, which literally means to break or to shatter. So what he did under his kingship is break and shatter people. So bad leadership may inadvertently hurt people, but evil leadership oppresses people, and this is what's happening. And that misuse of power from the king of Israel is what angers God the most. And if you don't like the idea of an angry God, that's a complicated picture. Maybe you can warm up to it when you realize that God does get angry when people are oppressed. That's a kind of anger from God's perspective that I think we need to consider that that's a possibility. And if it's not a possibility that God might get angry when people are being oppressed, then you were to think, well, what, what kind of God is God? Is God just removed? Or is God present and active? And we're going to see a God in this story who's present and active. So like God intervened in the suffering of God's people when uh, her people were suffering in Egypt, and God sent Moses to stand up to an evil leader, Pharaoh. God sends Elijah to stand up to Ahab. 
So 1 Kings 17, 1, this is how Mary started our portion. May Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead. Yes, Gilead. No Handmaid's Tale fans out there? No? Okay, that was an absolute bomb then. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, he's saying to Ahab, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, note... You don't say stuff like that to the king. You don't say anything to the king. Because what does it mean if there's going to be a drought in the land for three years? What does that mean to the economy of the king? It's going south. It's going, it's going to tank. And likely, if someone had the courage to say that to a king, they would be immediately murdered. So there's that. Now, Elijah means Jehovah is my God. So in the face of evil and oppression... God sends a certain trumpet, like God always does, announcing that God has not forgotten his people. So Elijah just shows up in verse 1 of the 17th chapter after king after king after king does evil and oppresses people, shattering them, breaking them down. Get a picture of what that is and then be Elijah as he's standing before this king, as he's standing before power and naming what God has asked him to name. These are the situations you're in that you don't ask to be in. Even if he was in Enneagram 3, he doesn't want to be in that situation right there because his life is going to be in danger. He has nothing to gain and everything to lose. But then you think back in moments of history, even in our lifetime, and maybe in the generations before. And there have been certain trumpets that God has sent into our world to name oppression and injustice to power. So first, I'll play question. If you're at home on Zoom, you can type in the chat. And thanks, Nico. Can I get an amen? Yes. It was pretty quiet in here, Nico. So, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks for that amen from you. Uh, Here's the all play question. What other people in history have been sent by God to stand up to evil and oppression? What other people can you think of in history that have been sent by God to stand up to evil and oppression? I, I heard a whisper Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, absolutely. Who else? Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yes. Who else? Nelson Mandela, thanks, John. Yes. Moses, thanks, Bethany. A hundred percent. Even though Moses was a stutterer, as was I. So I love Moses. I love that he didn't want to do it because his his mouth didn't work well. <laughs> that was my that was my story for so long. Susan B. Anthony, Mary Martin Weens, yes. They even coined a coin after her, right, Susan B. Anthony? Who else? Mother Teresa, yes. Thank you, Kara, us. I want to hear more. You don't want to say more, though, probably. Us. Who else? 
Yeah, Will, the Anabaptists, uh, the um, Mennonites and others who responded to violence with nonviolence and were really, really were persecuted in the 16th century especially. So thanks for that, Will. So most of us maybe don't, it, this feels like this is like, where is this sermon going? Because I'm probably never going to stand in front of an evil king <laughs> demanding that God let God's people go. But maybe, maybe in your own way, you are called to name where people are being shattered and broken. To name it out loud and to in your small or big way, um, Respond to the call of God. Maybe you're a certain trumpet in your workplace or in your home or with your group of friends. Maybe you're a certain trumpet that God is calling to stop the flow of injustice and oppression. So let's go back to the Elijah story. How did Elijah get an audience with Ahab? We don't know. Was he afraid? We don't know. Did he argue with God about this appointment like Moses did in Exodus? We don't know. He simply stands in the face of evil and oppression and directly challenges its power. By the way, we don't read that he added anything to the message, that he softened the message. He gave the message to the king that God gave to him. The, the, the definition of a prophet Navi is the Hebrew word, is simply one who brings. It's not one who predicts the future. It's not someone who has magical powers. It's someone who has the courage to bring God's message where God asks you to bring it. To bring. There won't be any rain in your land, which will cause economic devastation. And then here's the thing. He says, unless I say the word. I mean, that is power. So how do you think Elijah's conversation with Ahab went? The portion doesn't include Ahab's response, but we get a hint about how it goes from the next section of verses. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this is right after the conversation that he has with Ahab, and it's not much of a conversation, it's more like an announcement. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him saying, go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the Wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the Wadi as I have commanded you, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Kareth, which is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. But after a while, the Wadi, the river, dried up because there was no rain in the land. I want to call out several things about that. Number one, God sent him to hide because why? He was in danger. There was a death sentence on his head at that moment. So Elijah is called by God to do hard things. So if Elijah had a family, he had to leave that family. He had to go talk to Ahab. He had to speak truth to power. He had to hide by himself near a river, and he had to trust that ravens would bring him food. Now, it, like, like if any bird is going to bring me food, I would choose like a robin or maybe a, you know, a blue jay. A raven, though? Ick. Anyway, that's totally an aside. Um, so he does, he does these hard things, but let's not assume that Elijah isn't struggling every step of the way. 
One of my mentors said this to me all the time whenever I would talk to him about a struggle that I was having. He would say, well, there's no easy way to do a hard thing. There's no easy way to do a hard thing. So let's assume we don't read in the words that Elijah struggled, but we have to read in between, in the white spaces, because he was a human being, and he was probably terrified. He was probably terrified. But he shows us what trust is. Trust is not being fearless, and trust is not just acting as if everything's going to turn out fine. Trust is this, simply doing the next right thing without knowing how things will turn out. That's what trust is. Simply doing the next right thing without knowing how things are going to turn out. Because this, and this is even, even for those of us who like change, you know, we also like to know that we have a pretty good chance that that change is going to turn out in our favor, right? But trust or faith, and I'm going to even say this to trigger all of us, biblical faith, biblical faith is saying yes and doing the next right thing without knowing how it's going to turn out. And that's that beautiful passage in Hebrews 11 where it talks about all these heroes of faith who did the next right thing. And some of them were killed and some of them were, you know, sawn in two and all this gruesome, crazy stuff. So I want to name that faith is not for the certainty, the people that are rooted in certainty. Faith is for people who have been gripped by God's heart for liberating people who are being crushed and shattered especially. And they're willing to simply do the next right thing, not knowing how things are going to turn out. When I sense God calling me to do a hard thing, I'm tempted to try to figure out all the steps to make it work out in my favor. And I think that's understandable because I'm a human. But here's my thing after sitting with this text for a week. I actually want to learn more about Elijah's kind of trust. I want to learn to be a person who has the kind of faith that is not marked by certainty. It's marked by simply doing the next right thing because it's the right thing. Amen? Let's be people who do that, no matter how it turns out. So maybe you're not called to speak truth to oppressive power, or maybe you are, but reflect on this. What hard thing are you being asked to do these days? Maybe it's just hanging in there with your family as you struggle. <laughs> Maybe it's something at work and it's something's unethical and you have an opportunity to do the right thing. Rather than spinning and creating narratives, and you know what I mean by that? When you're worried about something and in your mind you're just going to... You create narratives, you spin in order to try to control the situation... That's what our mind does. It's what our brains are, are, you know, that's what our brains are sort of wired up to do. But you, in order to trust and simply do the next right thing, you have to arrest that spinning brain that's always going to try to categorize things into right or wrong, left or, or right, safe or dangerous. And you have to say, God, help me to trust and help me to see what the next right thing is. So I'll play question number two. What helps you do the next right thing? As you think about that, as you think about times in your life where you can say, 
oh yeah, I, I did do the next right thing. What, what helped you to do it? Or as you think about that thing that you maybe is pounding in your brain right now and you're saying, stop talking, please, Steve. What is it, gonna, what is it that's going to help you do the next right thing? If you're on Zoom, would love to see your answers in the chat. And of course, if you're in the room here, just shout it out. Thanks, Cassandra. Knowing you're not in control. Yeah, that helps. And like even putting aside, I want to be in control. I'm striving to be in control, but actually, I'm not. That actually is helpful. Thanks. What else? Thanks, Pam. Talking with others that I trust, laying it out there. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. What else? Woo, Rachel, allowing your ego to die. And that's a whole other sermon or book. But the ego is always going to fight to preserve self. And, and there's a healthiness to that until it's not healthy. <laughs> and that's the definition of wisdom, knowing where that line is. Yes. Yes. Tell me your name. Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Amanda said, taking some time to ground myself in my body, to breathe and to remember like who I am, where I am, so that ego doesn't just run amok. And that this is the work of this is the contemplative work of wisdom, you guys. It's less about what we believe, and it's more about how can I ground myself in the wisdom of Jesus so that I can see what I need to see so that I can do the right thing, the next right thing. Um, Nico, online, not being afraid of sitting in the ick and allowing yourself time to grieve so that you can move forward wholeheartedly. Amen, Nico. Uh, Mary, saying it out loud to someone makes it real to me that I'm actually going to do that next right thing instead of that private conversation in my mind. Yeah, totally. You got to say it out loud. You got to name it. What else? Oh, there is this releasing grip, Rob. Thanks. I mean, at times when I'm spinning, I'm, I actually notice that I'm clenching my fists and holding my, my body in a really tight way. So like there's a literal, like I'm, I have to let go. I have to let go. Oh, yes, holding the thing in front of you. And, Will, I think what you're talking about is versus being so enmeshed inside of it that you can't see it. You have to hold it out here and look at it, whether it's a system or a family, because you can differentiate from it. You know, Elijah, we don't do a lot of, we don't know about a lot of psychology back in the Bronze Age, but we can imagine there's a differentiation he needed to go through in order to speak truth to power. That I'm not enmeshed in this system. I'm different from it. I'm separate from it. I can look at it and say, I don't have to be controlled by it. Whew. Okay, let's, let's move on because otherwise we'll be here till 1230 or one or two or three. Uh, the next section, so Elijah has done the next right thing by speaking truth to power. He's done the next right thing by going to the river and allowing the ravens to feed him until that food runs out and the water runs out, which is a, such a, like, that's such a, a good moment of realization that God will lead you to a thing and God will, 
uh, lead you to that thing, and that thing will nourish you, and that thing will be the good thing for you until it runs out. And wise is the person that knows when it has run out so that you can listen for God's next call because God does give a next call here. Does that make sense, you guys? One of the biggest forms of idolatry, actually, is expecting that God is going to continue to be the same, work in the same exact ways as God has worked in the past. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which is in Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And he must have been thinking, couldn't you have commanded like a wealthy family to feed me? So maybe there's some more stuff. Maybe, you know, because my, my clothes are kind of getting worn out. And uh, A widow. Awesome. So he set out and went to Zarephath. Next right thing. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and said, bring me a little water and a vessel so that I may drink. Bold. And as she was going to bring it, he called after her and said, oh, and by the way, bring me a little morsel of bread in your hand. <laughs> Meaning what little you have, I'd like it. Wow. But she said, now listen, as the Lord your God lives, hint, the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and for your son. She must have been thinking, I think you have a hearing problem. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither the jug of oil. It didn't fail. According to the word of the Lord that, he, that was spoken by Elijah. And I just think this is incredible. I just, I think this is incredible because Elijah is sent not to a wealthy family, but to a widow who's starving and about to die. And he must have thought he was crazy to do this next right thing because God told him, I have asked, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with the notion that God commanded a widow in Sidon of Zarephath to feed a prophet. The Lord, your God, as, as sure as the Lord, your God lives. So this is not a person who is a child of Israel. This is not <clears throat> part of his religion, this woman. So how is it that we are to believe <laughs> that God commanded her to do this work and yet somehow that is exactly how it all plays out. So when the Kareth ran dry, God sent Elijah to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath in Hebrew means refinement, to be refined. What does it mean that after speaking truth to power, after being fed by the ravens in the little brook until it dried up, Elijah the prophet who brings the word of God might need to go to refinement. Have you ever talked with someone who really does hear from God? 
And have you ever noticed in some of those folks, there can tend to be a boldness that is a little off-putting? What if Elijah had something to learn? Here's this guy, all-star of all-stars, speaks truth to power, sees God send ravens to feed him. I can imagine that Elijah, even though he was going through a really, really tough time, there was a kind of connection with God and a belief in God, but he needed to learn something about who God cares for and what God does. Refinement means to improve something by making small changes, in particular, to make an idea, theory, or method more subtle and accurate. So let's have some fun as we close. Why do you think Elijah, if Elijah needed some refining, what do you think might have needed refining in Elijah at this point in his life? That's not up on the screen, but let's let that be a juicy nugget of an all-play question. Sure, Elijah has heard from God twice, three times. He's got this connection. He's spoken truth to power. He hasn't died yet. The ravens have fed him. He's got the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord's coming to him and only him. What do you think might have needed refining in Elijah's character at this moment? Yeah, his ego feels really good. Thanks, Nate. Will? His ego. Because, you know, he's a human being. He's, God's chosen him to be God's mouthpiece. He's probably got some certainty going. So God sends him to a woman who is not of his faith household, and God wants to teach him something. Perspective. Thanks, Pam. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Joan. He needed protection. He needs to learn it's not all up to you. You don't have to take this weight on. So good. Uh, Mary says online, he needs to understand God's care for the insignificant and invisible. Yes. Yes, Cassandra, he needed to see the far-reaching consequences of what a drought can do. I think all of these things are true. So I think in the doing of the next right thing, in the following God into the hard places, as we do that more and more and more, there's always going to be a refinement that's happening in our character. Are we open to that? It's not just about doing the next right thing. It's about doing the next right thing and being open to the ways in which God wants to expand us, expand our view of the world, to see God's care for the insignificant and invisible. He would have seen this woman as an enemy. He needed to see that God cares for people like her outside of his camp. And I just wonder if that helped shave off a little bit of the ego. I wonder. I wonder. So, questions to sit with maybe. 
What hard thing are you being asked to do right now? And how can you stop spinning and instead ask for the trust to be able to do the next right thing, just the next right thing? Question number two, what refinement might be happening in you these days? And how can you see it not as a fault of your character, but as just a beautiful way that the God who loves you wants to expand how you see? So can you reframe that, something that feels like a defect of character or exhausting? What about if it's one of the ways that God is loving you by helping you see more, expand more? And then lastly, what, what enemy might you need to see differently? What insignificant person might you need to include? That's a lot to think about. Amen? What if I told you it was a juicy story? lot to think about. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If If you you find find yourself nearby nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you have have any any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.